Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. I dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. Sign up for my emails. Uh, and I'm the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well. I offer a conservatarian perspective. Uh, before we get to Frank Hawkins, Mary Jo Tinlin just texted me. Uh, we just had her on in the last segment regarding Ascent Classical Academy's denial by the Colorado State Board of Education. And she said that she forgot to mention a great website with a ton of video and information is Choice. ForAllKids.org. That's ChoiceForAllKids.org, and it's the number four in that. So that would be a great spot for you to go to get more information uh, regarding uh, a choice for our kids. We need to make sure that we know uh, how our kids are being educated. Uh, And to that, I mean, that's an an excellent segue into talking with Frank Hawkins. He has uh, an excellent piece in the American Thinker. Frank Hawkins is a former U.S. Army intelligence officer, an Associated Press foreign correspondent, and an international businessman. And uh, Frank, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Kim. Pleasure to be with you. And uh, let me set this up just a little bit. This first paragraph that you had in your piece I think is important. You said, America has undergone enormous change during your eight decades of, of life. Today, America is bitterly divided, poorly educated and morally fragile society with so-called mainstream politicians pushing cynical identity politics, socialism, and open borders. The president of the United States is threatened with impeachment because the other side doesn't like him. The once reasonably unbiased American media has evolved into a hysterical left-wing mob. How could the stable and reasonably cohesive America of the 1950s have reached this point in just one lifetime? Who are the main culprits? And you have a list of 10. So let's jump in here, Frank Hawkins. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, I, you saw exactly, you read off exactly the, uh, the opening uh, paragraph of my article. And uh, let me just say, Kim, this article has gone viral uh, all over the world. Uh, my email uh, box has been flooded almost constantly since that article was initially published on, uh, on July 29. And, in fact, uh, the uh, front page mag about a week or a week and a half ago, which is also a very important uh, website that I hope many of your uh, listeners are also tracking, uh, front page mag reprinted the article. Um, so it's gotten quite a bit of attention. Um, I've off, I now believe it would probably make a good book for someone to write. I'm, is I'm that you? I'm stage in my life <laughs> where I could take that on, but, but it's, uh, it's attracted a lot of attention. Anyhow, to get started... Uh, I I go in reverse order, and the first person I had on my list was a guy named Mark Felt. Uh, I don't know how many listeners would uh, recognize that name, but uh, Felt was the deputy director of the FBI and came to be known more um, uh, popularly as Deep Throat uh, during the Watergate scandal. Uh, He's the guy that fed all the tips to Woodward and Bernstein, and to help bring down the Nixon presidency. And the, the importance of this wasn't so much bringing down the Nixon presidency, but the real implication was that for the first time you had the FBI, a senior FBI official, directly interfering in the American political uh, picture. And uh, this was, of course, the forerunner for Comey, Strzok, uh, Lisa Page, Andrew McCabe, uh, or and uh, all the others that we know about now. 
And that is fascinating. I had Cheryl Atkinson on just the other day, and I didn't realize this, Frank. Um, but, you know, she was the CBS uh, reporter who the FBI and the Department of Justice, they were actually in her computer spying on her. In fact, one one day the cursor was moving without her touching the cursor. So, you know, I think they were trying to send her a message. She's been so courageous. She has taken them to court. But when I said, I, I asked her, so I said, the FBI, would that have been... Uh, the Comey FBI, and she said, well, it was actually before that as well, and and that was the Mueller FBI. And I don't think that most everybody realizes that Mueller was uh, head of the FBI, and now he is the head of this Russia investigation. That seems a little too, I don't know, t- and, and, this, and he was in charge of the FBI that was spying on uh, political course, uh, excuse me, uh, journalist, um, political... Um, opposite, you know, people they were opposed to. And now he's the head of the Mueller investigation. I can't quite figure out how that even happened. Right. And now in the, in the last uh, in the last uh, day or so, the last uh, couple of news cycles, we now learn that, in fact, this crowd was literally actively investigating a coup d'etat to, to uh, try and uh, get uh, rid of Trump through the 25th Amendment, uh, which was the so-called uh, Woodrow Wilson Amendment, uh, when uh, uh, president has declared either insane or inca- in, in, incapacitated uh, that they can take him out. And uh, just the fact that they were even thinking about this or talking about it is just horrendous. And, of course, it's now a huge scandal. But the real damage, Kim, the real damage here is that, that uh, the, the Mark Felt thing went by pretty quickly. And I think people uh, sort of regarded him as a hero because if he get rid of Nixon. But the real damage here is how can the American people trust the FBI going forward. Well, That's a terrible thing for our country. Well, it really is because, uh, I mean, that moves us towards a banana republic when you've got uh, these agencies acting the way they are. Trump, if President Trump had not been elected... Uh, I, I can't even imagine what would be going on because this this was is deeply deeply embedded, and he is. I mean, he is really fighting back on that. Do you think that he's going to be successful? I don't know. Deep state is in pretty deep. I mean, what we, what none of us know is what's underneath all of these people. In other words, how deeply infected is the FBI uh, with this mindset? That's what none of us can, can comprehend, um, and it's quite frightening because, I mean, that is the beginning of, a, as you say, a banana republic um, and uh, where, the, uh, where the law enforcement, which we used to, you know, we used to believe in blind justice. If you now have the, a law enforcement agency, which is highly politicized, of course, I blame Obama for a lot of this. I think, I think a lot of this happened during the Obama era and, uh, and certainly fostered by the Clintons to some degree. Well, I, I agree. You know what? We could probably talk all, all day on just a number 10. We better go to number 9, Frank Hawkins. <laughs> okay. You just keep me moving any way you want Okay. Uh, the, the number 9 on my, on my list is Bill Ayers. Uh, Bill Ayers was a, uh, was a 1960s uh, who dreamed of killing 25 million uh, Americans if they needed to in order to establish a new uh, political system. Um, and uh, he survived all of that. 
We're going to go to break, and we have uh, Frank Hawkins back. And uh, so when we come back, we'll jump in with number nine on his 10 most destructive Americans of his eight decades. And we're talking about uh, Bill Ayers. We'll be right back. the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. My website is AmeriChicks.com. That is where I am on Facebook and Twitter as well. And I offer a conservatarian perspective we have on the line with us. Frank Hawkins, he's a former U.S. Army intelligence officer, associated press correspondent, and international businessman. And he has written a piece, The Ten Most Destructive Americans of My Eight Decades. It was in the American Thinker. It's getting all kinds of of readership on this, Frank Hawkins. And so thank you so much for for being here with me. Uh, Great to be with you. Um, Just picking up on uh, Bill Ayers, uh, he survived uh, his time as a uh, as a, uh, a terrorist, um, a left wing terrorist, and he actually uh, bragged. He said, "Guilty as hell, free as a bird." He got away with it, and he got into education. He became a college professor in Illinois, and he devoted his uh, his life to basically uh, uh, radicalizing American education and, and popularizing and pushing leftist causes. But the real Thing, interesting thing about Bill Ayers is that it seems almost certain that he ghost wrote Obama's book, Dreams of My Father. And I don't have enough time, there's not enough time on your show to go into uh, how that is determined, but there's almost certainly without a doubt that he is the ghost author of Dreams of My Father. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's probably a whole, sh- a whole show in itself. So let's go to number yes. eight. Who is number eight on your list, Frank Hawkins? Uh, number eight is Teddy Kennedy. And, uh, of course, most folks will remember Teddy as the guy who left uh, uh, Mary Jo Kopechny to die in the car, Chappaquiddick. Um, but the real damage he did was he survived punishment for her death, and uh, the, the, the brilliant people of Massachusetts went on to elect him as a, uh, as a senator. Um, of course, he was the brother of the slain uh, President uh, John F. Kennedy, um, and he became a, uh, actually a major force in the, in, the, in the U.S. Senate for the Democrats. And he pushed through a lot of liberal policies and health care and education, but, but the real damage was the 1965 Hart-Seller immigration bill that he pushed hard to change the quota system to increase the flow of third-world people without skills into the United States and essentially ended the large-scale immigration from, from, uh, from uh, Europe. So he essentially uh, tra- helped transform the demographics of America. <clears throat> Why do you think he did that, Frank Hawkins? I, you know, it is beyond me. I, I mean, it's just these are this is liberal politics at its worst, in my opinion. And um, he just, I think, they felt that they just had to give the third world a chance to come to America. It was a matter of for them in their heads equality and fairness, uh, and uh, just I think that's their mindset. Boy, you know, he, even though he's JFK's brother, uh, I, I. I see that I think that they look at things somewhat differently because I, I think that JFK really believed in the exceptionalism of America and believed in the American people. And so it's so interesting in the same family that, um, you know, the policies were so different. I just find that intriguing. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, as, a, as a young man, I loved JFK. And when he was killed, I, I, I could not have been more, uh, uh, worse for me than if my own father had been killed. I mean, I really felt that way. And then for Teddy Kennedy to turn out the way he did was just, 
uh, just shameful. Yeah, that's for sure. So, okay, let's go ahead and go to number seven. Okay, number seven was a guy named Walter Cronkite. Uh, probably members of the younger generation don't remember him anymore, but those of us who are in my generation and a little bit beyond uh, the baby boomers uh, certainly will remember him as the much-beloved network, network uh, anchor. Um, and uh, he really began uh, without, I think, intending to. I mean, this is the most important part of this. I don't think he did it intentionally, but he began the politicization of America's news media with his infamous broadcast from Vietnam that described the Tet Offensive as a major victory for the communists. And he basically uh, turned a significant uh, amount of the American population uh, against the war. And um, and what happened was the Tet Offensive was actually a great uh, military victory for the United States. A, a significant amount of the NVA and the Viet Cong were wiped out in that battle. And later, uh, General Giap of, uh, North, of North Vietnam, he admitted as much. He said we were defeated, and, but uh, Cronkite did not understand or comprehend what had happened. And so he stood up and said it was a terrible uh, defeat for the United States because uh, the Tet Offensive had carried on into Saigon and, and into American strongholds and so on. So anyhow, uh, actually, as it turns out, years later, Cronkite actually admitted that he got the story wrong. It was too late. The damage was done. Oh, man. I did not realize that. Okay, let's jump. Let's stay on this. Uh, number six. Well, in number six, I had Bill and Hillary Clinton because, frankly, it's difficult to uh, to separate uh, t- uh, Team Clinton. Um, curiously enough, Bill's presidency uh, was a reasonably largely benign presidency. In other words, it came after the Reagan era, and the Reagan momentum carried on well into uh, well into Clinton's presidency, and and so it was a time of of, of prosperity, relative prosperity, and, and good times in the United States. And um, but but what happened with Bill is his sexual exploits uh, badly stained the Oval Office and uh, negatively affected the uh, America's perception of the presidency. And uh, but there was other stuff going on in exchange for financial support. He facilitated uh, the transfer of sen- sensitive military uh, technology to the Chinese. And then there was Hillary. Uh, Hillary is a. Uh, Saul Alinsky acolyte, and I regard her as one of the most vicious uh, politicians of my lifetime, um, and she was very active in covering up Bill's sexual assaults. Uh, she harassed and insulted the exploited uh, women, um, and, uh, and worse than that, of course, uh, she peddled influence around the globe in exchange for funds for the corrupt um, Clinton Foundation. The Clinton Foundation was a sham. Basically, they spent a relatively small, insignificant portion of their money helping people, and uh, they used that money to uh, create a very uh, nice lifestyle for Bill, Hillary, and uh, Chelsea uh, with jet tra- private jet travel, fancy hotels, move, um, um, fancy meals, and so on. And they put a lot of their hangers-on on the payroll to keep them warm while Hillary got ready to become president. Um, and during that time, of course, uh, it is widely known now that she signed off on the sale of 20% of the U.S. uranium reserves to the Russians. This was after Bill received a half a million dollar speaking fee at a Moscow. 
In other words, for a one-hour talk, Bill Clinton got a half a million dollars from the Russians. You talk about Russian collusion. Wow. There it is. And um, so in addition to that, the foundation received hundreds of millions of dollars through other channels from those who benefited from the deal. And uh, so in my opinion, uh, the Clintons were totally toxic. Uh, They killed any honor uh, that might have uh, existed in the dark halls of uh, the District of Columbia. Well, Bill and Hillary never saw Trump coming, did, did they? No, no, no one did, I, except a few of us. I, I, uh, Ann Coulter and I both saw it coming, and maybe you did too, Kim. I didn't. Uh, because, I wish I could say I was that uh, it was smart. It clear that the American public was fed up with the whole Obama mess. Um, one quick question. I remember at one of the debates where Hillary mentioned something about Trump and the Russians. And it caught my ear. I thought, now that's that's odd. That's interesting. I surmise that uh, they were looking at the polls and they realized that Trump had a chance to win. And I think they started this whole Russian collusion thing. They were cooking that up long before the election had even occurred. And uh, I think they wanted to undermine the presidency if uh, Trump got into office. I think th- I think they thought that they would be able to get him out of office. I think they're surprised that he's still there. Uh, yeah, th- you may be right about that. Well, of course, remember, it wasn't just Hillary at this point and her, and her hangers-ons and, uh, and, and people around her, but it was also the, the deep state. The deep state is quite real. We've seen it with all the FBI stuff, and um, which is just uh, uh, horrendous uh, what's happened with the justice system, uh, with the Ninth, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all over the place. You can spend... You could spend hours mapping the deep state, but it's quite clear you can identify the individuals involved. Okay. Well, we could. I think we could almost do a show on each one of these, So, but we're going to stay on task here, Frank Hawkins. Your number five is Valerie Jarrett. And there had been a, a picture that had been going around the Internet of her in her yearbook out at Stanford. And I don't think that it was really an authentic picture because I was out in California, so I went over to Palo Alto. I went to the Stanford Library, and I looked for that yearbook. And uh, interestingly enough, it wasn't there. It was not in the Stanford Library. And so I walked around the whole library to see if somebody had it out because, you know, there were all kinds of students studying. And I did not see that anybody had that yearbook. But I, I just thought it was intriguing that the yearbook from the year that she was a senior was missing out there at the library at Stanford. But anyway, tell us about Val- Valerie Jarrett. Well, I regard her as the Rasputin of the uh, Obama administration. She's what we call a red diaper baby. Her father, her maternal grandfather, and her father-in-law uh, were hardcore communists under investigation uh, by the U.S. government. Um, Vern uh, Vern Jarrett, who's her father-in-law, was a very close friend and ally of Obama mentor Frank Marshall Davis. Frank Marshall Davis was a black communist uh, who was in the pay of the Soviets. Uh, He was an active Soviet agent who was sent out to uh, Hawaii to uh, radicalize the longshoremen out there. And uh, he, uh, his trail is quite uh, easy to find. Uh, he was writing uh, during that era for a left-wing communist newspaper. He had a column which is, had his own name and so on. He was a poet. Uh, he, was a, um, uh, he was actually a pornographer. He uh, shot pictures of, of the lady who later who became uh, 
who 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 uh, uh, birthed uh, Barack Hussein Obama, um, and there are many people who believe, and uh, Joel Gilbert has done a lot of good work in this area, uh, who believe that Frank Marshall Davis is actually the true uh, biological father of uh, of Barack Obama. Um, and that's another long story all in itself. It's a fascinating story. Uh, Joe Gilbert put together an entire video on it, quite compelling video, and um, I, I've watched it several times, and it's, it's quite persuasive. And um, But there's little doubt. Uh, I, I see uh, when you get into the birther discussions here, and I know we're a little off track here, but when you get into the birther discussions, I believe that Obama was born in Hawaii. I do not believe he was born in Kenya, despite the fact that he once publicly told an audience that he was born in Kenya. Uh, that's just part of the whole confusion of the mess. But I'm, I'm very convinced that he was born in Hawaii, and I think the whole uh, birth certificate uh, thing, the phony birth certificate, we've never seen the real one. I think the phony birth certificate is covering up not where he was born, but who his father was, Frank Marshall Davis. Ooh, interesting. And you heard it right here on the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Hey, Frank Hawkins, let's go to break. When we come back, we will find out who number four, three, two, and one are on your list of the 10 most destructive Americans of your eight decades. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Dissecting issues is right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Uh, Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. Sign up for my emails. And I am the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well, offering you a conservatarian perspective. We have quite quite a guest here with us today, Frank Hawkins. He's a former U.S. Army intelligence officer. Associated Press Foreign Correspondent, International Businessman, and he has written a piece that was uh, in the American Thinker, The Ten Most Destructive Americans of My Eight Decades. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's really an interesting list. I do have to tell you, number, let's see, number seven was Walter Cronkite, and Steve and I were talking during the break, and, and Steve said... Uh, Uncle Walter? I can't believe it. But he said then as he read it, he's like, ah, it makes sense. So anyway, let's go ahead and jump back in here. Uh, Number four. Who is number four on your list of the 10 most destructive Americans in your lifetime? Uh, Number four is Jimmy Carter, uh, who was uh, president uh, um, at at the turn of a century. uh, uh, Here's the thing about uh, 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 Jimmy. He's actually a very decent human being. I'm sure of that. I think he's fundamentally in his own way honest, but as a president, he was a disaster. Uh, he, uh, he actually ignited the modern-day radical Islam by abandoning the Shah in Iran and paving the way for the Ayatollah Khomeini to take power in Tehran. Um, and, of course, Iran subsequently, as you uh, we're all aware, has become the main state sponsor and promoter of international Islamic terrorism. Um, and when the Islamists uh, uh, took over our embassy in uh, Tehran, uh, Carter was too weak uh, to effectively respond, and he thus uh, strengthened the rule of the radical Islamic mullahs, and since then they have been responsible for the deaths of, of Americans and plenty of other people around the globe. It's a truly evil regime. There's no other way to think about it. Yeah, appeasement uh, really doesn't work. The the long Long-term consequences of that are significant. But uh, let's stay on task here. Who's number three on your list, Frank Hawkins? Uh, number three is Lyndon Johnson. Um, a lot of uh, people who've read this article say that Lyndon Johnson should have been number one on the list as the most destructive, but he was certainly a horrible president. Uh, he turned the Vietnam conflict into a major war for America. 
Uh, it could have ended early if he had listened to the generals instead of the automaker, Robert McNamara. And, of course, we all know the result. We had 58,000 American uh, deaths uh, and collaterally tens of thousands of American lives damaged or destroyed. Um, and worse than that, Kim, it was a war that badly divided America. It created left-wing groups who evaded the draft, and eventually they gained control of our education system, and they control it to this day. Mm-hmm. Even worse, though, was uh, Johnson's war on poverty, which has led to, uh, by paying uh, uh, women uh, not to have husbands and to have children, uh, he's led to the destruction of American black families, uh, with a significant escalation of welfare and policies designed to keep poor families dependent on the government and, of course, voting Democrats. So he, he deliberately, in my opinion, created a racial holocaust that's still burning today and as strong, as I said before, you, you could easily put him at the top of the list, and I don't think anyone would object. Well, I, I totally agree. As, as I've looked at this, you know, basically Lyndon Johnson's uh, great society was uh, he, he came to women and said, we, the government, will take care of you and your children as long as there's not a man in the family. And so it broke families up, but it not only hurt women and children, it also hurt our young men because they no longer had to step up. And be the man of the family. To, they no longer had to step up they, and, and be responsible. And so I think that it, it really has decimated many young men and women. And um, I, I'm encouraged, though, because I, I recently saw some poll numbers that President Trump's approval rating among blacks and Hispanics is significant. And if this continues, I think this is why the radical progressive activist left is going crazy with Trump, because if, in fact, his policies are able to take hold and people start to have the dignity of, of work and the, and the dignity of, of relationships and families, then all this that they have been building for all these years uh, may uh, go by the wayside. So that's why we're, we're in the fight of our life. I have, I've, I, I really am convinced that we are in the third founding of America with President Trump. We had Washington and the, and the, the Patriots. We had Lincoln and the Civil War. And I think that we are in a historic time in the third founding of America. Uh, listen, I'm with you. I think you're, you're spot on on that analysis. And uh, I, I totally agree. I mean, under Trump, and he brags about it, and well, he should, that there are now record uh, levels of jobs for uh, blacks and for women. And um, I, uh, truthfully, is the country has job-wise has never been more prosperous uh, than it is today. And that's thank, directly thanks to Trump and his policies. Uh, he's, tur- he's turning it, but there's, the left is dug in, and they are still making uh, headway in lots of areas that are frightening, including some of the latest uh, people uh, elected to Congress, but we can get into that in another time. If you'd like, we can go to number two. Let's go to number two. Who's number two on your list? Well, uh, it won't surprise anyone, Barack Hussein Obama. And uh, Obama came into office saying he was going to fundamentally transform five days. In fact, I think it was out in Denver. It was. Five days before the election, he said, we're going to fundamentally transform America. And we all said to ourselves, what in the hell is this guy talking about? Uh, but we now know what, exactly what he was talking about. Uh, he was setting America up for a final uh, defeat and a stealth conversion from a free market society to some version of socialism and communism. And, you know, as you get deeper, and as we have gotten deeper into the Trump presidency, uh, we can see how, uh, and we mentioned this earlier, how his, 
He politicized uh, key government agencies, uh, the FBI, we've already talked about that, the CIA, um, the IRS. Uh, we know for sure that uh, under Lois Lerner, this, uh, the, I, the IRS was specifically targeting um, conservative groups. You may have been targeted yourself. Um, and the damage here, Kim, is that it shakes the public's confidence in the federal government to be fair and unbiased. When I was growing up as a kid, we trusted the government. Uh, we thought the government was a good thing, uh, and we could depend on the government to do the right thing and to be uh, honest and, and uh, fair about its dealings. And that has been basically destroyed under Obama. And uh, the, But even worse than that, in my opinion, is that he set back race relations right. between Americans by stoking black grievances and pushing radical identity politics. I mean, you, you think about Louis Gates, Trayvon Martin, Michael right. Brown, Freddie Gray. I mean, this is all Obama stuff. In every one of those situations, he stoked it. He sent the Justice Department in under Holder to, uh, to fire the thing up. I mean, this is, this is shameful behavior, and uh, he can never be forgiven for this. And then, of course, his open support for the Iranian uh, mullahs and his unapologetic, uh, his apologetic, excuse me, lead from behind foreign policy, uh, which seriously weakened America abroad. Trump, thank God, has done a lot to turn that around. Um, and, of course, his, uh, Obama's blatant attempt to interfere in Israel's election by trying to unseat Netanyahu, in my opinion, is one of the most shameful things ever done by an American president. Wow. The horrible man. Wow. Okay, we're just about out of time. We have time for number one. Who's number one on your list of the 10 most destructive Americans? Okay, number one, huh? uh, This is my personal preference putting him on because I regard him as the single most despicable American uh, who ever lived. He faked his three Purple Hearts uh, during his cowardly service in, in Vietnam. He traveled to Paris and met privately with the NBA and the Viet Cong, and he returned to the United States parroting the Soviet party line about the war, testified before Congress comparing American soldiers to the hordes of Genghis Khan. Uh, it was a clear case of treason and giving aid and comfort to the enemy in a time of war. And of course, we got a second bite of his bitter apple uh, when he, uh, when he uh, went, fell into bed with the Iranians and uh, uh, basically tried to set the tone for them to go ahead and get nuclear weapons. We're all familiar with that now. Well, well, I, and of course, then he's he's all over the climate change thing as well. I mean, he is. I, I agree. I think that he's a very dangerous man. Now, I have to tell you that I take a little stand on J- John Kerry. You know, he is married to one of the uh, heiresses of the Heinz, uh, you know, food empire, and or isn't it the Heinz? I think, or is it the yes? Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Heinz ketchup. Okay, and so I never buy Heinz ketchup just because of that. Just so you know, so I'm just taking <laughs> exactly. my own little stand on that. <laughs> So um, just a little bit more about John Kerry. We've got probably a minute and a half. I think you can delve into just a couple more things on John Kerry. And and Frank Hawkins, you've also done a piece on uh, the 10 most influential Americans. And so, Steve and I want to get you on again to talk about that because uh, I think that's important. And, and I'm not sure I agree with you on all of those on that list. So I think it'll be a fascinating conversation. But any so final... would be great to have a, a little fi- some fireworks between us. That'd be fun. Okay, that sounds great. Any Well, just any final thoughts, kind of the, the big picture you want to leave with our listeners today. Well, the big, the big picture is um, that uh, our country has changed significantly since I was a young man, and um, I hope and I regard Trump as our best and only hope to reverse this. 
I think the 2020 election is going to be a key one. Um, but as a matter of fact, I now believe that maybe um, support for Trump is running stronger than ever. I think the, the, the blatant shift to the left uh, by the Democrats, particularly with the new members of Congress, Obar and Tlaib and, and uh, so on, OAC, I think is going to put off enough Americans so that it gives, uh, 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 gives Trump a good chance to be uh, reelected, and that will give us four more years to try and, and uh, smooth out the deep state a little bit. Well, I do uh, think... He's, he's, managed to, uh, he's managed to appoint uh, two Supreme Court justices, and he might still get another one before this current term ends. If he could get one or two more, that would, that would help America a lot. Uh, it would help significantly, that's for sure. Frank Hawkins, this has been absolutely fascinating. So I am so excited. To, uh, we're going to get you on to talk about you know, the 10 most influential Americans. So thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Thanks, Kim. All the very best.